We've been friends for a very long time, so we thought that we'd do a podcast. Mike and Christian talking about movies, mostly from the 90s. Hardest part was coming up with names, because all the good ones were taken. Hope you like it, we think it's rad. Pretty bad movie gab. Welcome to Pretty Bad Movie Gab with Mike and Christian, a podcast dedicated to the celebration of late 80s and 90s movies with an emphasis on hidden gems and the forgotten. Mostly, as their theme song already announced, they're just two very old friends who like to talk about film. On today's episode, they're discussing. Toy Soldiers is uh, one of my picks, a favorite that I adored when I was growing up. A little, little story I like to call Die Hard in a School. Die Hard came out in 88 and made like a staggering amount of money, which then did kick off the Die Hard in a blank yeah. uh, thing. Obviously, the most famous knockoffs were like Under Siege, Die Hard on a Boat, Speed, Speed. Die Hard on a Bus, on yeah. bus. <laughs> like, yeah. Cliffhanger, Die Hard on a Cliff. The interesting thing about Toy Soldiers is this movie bombed. Fuck, did it ever I think, bomb? I actually didn't realize it bombed because I like this movie too. I remember when this came out because I love Red Dawn and that's another right. one that we could do on this show. I mean, right. I thought it's it, it, funny when you brought Red, uh, Die Hard to the school, I'm like, yep, because I remember people using that when this came out. But all I was thinking was Red Dawn, you know, youngins taking up arms to fight right. against the bad guys. But when you actually watch the movie, they really don't do a lot of that. Maybe save, save to the final act. Yeah, there's really very little dieharding going on. It's funny. So researching the background of this, this was a book first. I can't remember the guy's name with apologies to the author. I don't know. Maybe we can edit it after. But the author is William P. Kennedy. And the point is, anytime I see property where they've taken a book and converted it to a screenplay, I figure this is just TriStar going into their vault of what they've optioned and saying like, guys, we need to die hard. It's making all the money in the world. So what can we do about it? This movie was 1991 and it's going to be weird. And as is my way, I'm going to get everybody's name wrong, but the main, <laughs> uh, the main character in this is Sean Austin, better known as Frodo two in Lord of the Rings, the fat Frodo. I think his name was Samwise in the movie. I forgot just how unbelievably red hot Sean Austin was in the early 90s, late 80s, like, God damn it, dude had a run of movies. Goonies, this, even though it was a bomb. Yeah, that's the funny part. Well, I got to interrupt you because I remember Goonies and then it felt like there was nothing. And then there was this and then Encino Man. I mean, Rudy and Encino Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The mental image anybody needs is either it's Rudy or fat Frodo from Lord of the Rings. Take your pick. <laughs> and uh, the 90s answer to Samuel Jackson, Lou Gossett Jr. If you oh. needed a badass Samuel Jackson in the 90s, you were calling Lou Gossett Jr. And it reminded me watching him going like, we got to add Digstown to the list of ones we look at. That movie's oh. so effing good, man. I remember liking that too, the boxing movie. No one talks about that one. But I like Lou Gossett, like Iron Eagle fame. Yeah. Like that's like, again, Iron Eagle 1, 2, Firewalker. Like all his hits. Forget an officer and a gentleman. Let's just go for all the, the crazy right. ones. It's interesting because I get the, why it's called Toy Soldiers. Yet... I want to make a joke about it, too, because they do very little in the way of fighting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's very little soldiering going on. Yeah, or anything. This was pre-Columbine, so right. you could shoot up a school right. left, right, and center, and no one cared. Oh, man, good point. I never even thought about that. There is a 
ceiling on when you can make a movie like this. You're right. This movie would, it would have to be received a little bit differently today. The other people of note in this is uh, Wesley Crusher of Star Trek fame, uh, Will oh, Wheaton. The only reason I thought you wanted to do this movie is because you are Will Wheaton. You kind of look like him now, but you look like him more back then in the day. If there was a retro pick I could put on, it's like you are Will Wheaton. I thought I looked more like the karate kid, Ralph Macchio, in my teenage years. But Will Will, Wheaton. Will Wheaton. God damn it, that's insulting. So fine. I look like Will Wheaton, and he's in it. Um, And the other thing I found interesting, too, about this, just very quick, man, and I'm going to pronounce the dude's name incorrectly, but this was written by... David Cope and like oh, he is a, he's done a heavy fucking hitter, man. Like yeah. he's got I'm just sure looking at Death Becomes or Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, uh, Mission Impossible, Panic Room, Spider Man. Like this was not of Echoes. like Maybe these guys like the one. screenwriters were heavy hitters. And I kind of did pick up on that, like despite sort of how sort of the movie bombed. It's a well-written movie. Like, everything makes sense. I'm not going to do my... I do have a couple nitpicks, but I'm not going to shit on the screenwriting quite as much as I did with American Ninja. Like, the things happen, and then things happen as a consequence. It all makes sense. Yeah. Cause and effect, or or at least, yeah, set up. It, it, there, you're right. There, This is more of a, a, a flow of a, an actual film, and you probably could go right to the credit of what you just said, which is the screenwriter, David, the co-op, the, he obviously is a heavy hitter. You know, uh, the American Ninja writers are not heavy hitters. So no. I think he just knew how to structure a film a bit more so. Because there are some great moments to this, but it's not totally. cheese-free, which is fantastic, which is what we want to talk about. Like, I mean, why why these these guys stay at the school for as long as they do? I think it's uh, five days, actually, I counted. but And then, yeah, so lastly, just to finish off very quickly the remainder of the cast – the main bad guy I thought was Josh Brolin, actually, but it's not Josh Brolin. It's a dude named Andrew Divoff, and I don't yeah. know who he is really. Just some '90s villain dude. Do you? Always, and then this is a movie that when you watch the movie, you're gonna be like, "Oh, this guy, that guy, oh him," yeah. and you always have to go to your phone now. Like back in the day, we never had this luxury. Now you just go. I got to pause the movie and find out what this guy's been in and then take 10 minutes of time to figure, go through his filmography or their filmography. Right. Like the dude that uh, I was like, what is he from? What is he from? And I was, I'm like, I'm not going to go to IMDb. I'm like, I think it's RoboCop. I'm like, no, I finally figured it. Out. It was total recall. And it was like the one white guy terrorist because they couldn't have all right. non-white terrorists because then that would have been racist so they had right. to have one american that had to join the crusade for whatever so that, reason Die Hard really did set up you have an alan rickman and then you have like the computer american computer nerd and yes. i just felt these guys were just following along the like these guys truly like this is fuck right into the vent crawling scene like they were really doing a diehard so, so, I mean, this is like i remember an argument i think it was ebert that always uses argument like who makes these man-sized vents every right. movie has vents that you can easily crawl through i mean okay now they, they got them squeezing through them in certain scenes but a, a full-grown man can easily get from point a to b through the venting uh, you know ventilation systems at all of these places whether it be a school a high-rise complex an airport whatever it's this. It's one of the the best cheats a movie screenwriter comes up with is the vents. Like my other favorite, of course, is like silencers. Don't literally silence a gun. They just muffle where the sound is coming from. Um, the fact that like 
a bullet wound in anywhere with the exception of the heart is basically no different than a paper cut. When in reality, like getting oh. shot in the wrist, that is a decade of fucking physiotherapy. Like you are out of the fight if you ever get shot. Well, Lou Gossett gets shot, which looks like in the freaking lungs and heart, but then when he comes out, it's just in the shoulder. Just in the shoulder. I love, I love, anyway, like, because I'm going to do this every so, show. I'm going to jump all over the place. So, so I'll, I'll keep us focused. Yeah. So let's, okay, so let's just do a very quick, the beats of the movie, a Colombian drug lord, whatever, wants his father out of prison. So he goes to the school where some American kid is going to a prep school and basically takes it hostage to force the government to let his dad out of prison. Like that is the general beat of the movie. And that, I mean, actually that is essentially, that's the whole movie. They take a prep school and I think we're expected to think it feels like very new Englandy. Although I think the actual school is like in Delaware or something like that, but it's supposed to be like a new England prep school for troubled kids. So the movie opens with just establishing that the bad guys are bad guys and there's a sort of a quick action scene and then we go right to the school where we're now introduced to Frodo, uh, Wesley Crusher, and then three guys we kind of don't care about who are their, and the five of them are buddies. And the, the one thing the movie did that I liked is like how aggressively it established that like the five of them don't like authority they're rebels. They fucking spray paint. They spray rebels paint right out of the gate. Yeah. Like, you, right you know, gate, yeah. <laughs> they spray paint rebels onto the school. Like, that is the opening scene. They're jogging for rugby and they spray paint rebels. So these are badass kids. That's what we're and expecting. Lou Gossick is the dean who yeah. seemingly has some sort of respect for Frodo and right. his shenanigans. Like, he, 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 he he's <laughs> upset by it, but almost impressed as well. That's right. There's this, yeah, mutual, that even gets great later on in the movie, and we'll talk about that. But so the movie opens, and Sean Austin and Wesley, or Frodo and Wesley, go to their dorm. Lou Gossett Jr., Digstown, is there with, uh, or whatever, Iron Eagle is there with Thank you. The, the U.S. military. And they're like, okay, we've got to take your roommate out of school because there's been this terrorist situation. Frodo and Wesley go to spy on them and they are no more than four feet away from the action. Like that, I rewound that scene five times. Well, they, it's they, so funny. I think, I thank God they make a joke that the Dean's aware that they're totally eavesdropping. So he's like, you might as well come in boys because right. they don't hide it. Like, no, it's one of those doors that like, I've never seen in real life that has That's like right. a window above it that they, you know, hop on each other's shoulders. And then they, they look it through the window, play plain as day, like not, not necessarily even hiding. Uh, they make some noise and they, they realize they come in. And that's what I want to bring up. They get rid of the kid. Yeah. The terrorists are coming to, for that kid, because his father's the head judge uh, in, uh, around the case or something to that yeah, effect, and that's like, right. that's what they that's why they they're getting that kid safe. So that kid's escorted out of the school. Movie should be over, but of course well, the bad guys don't know that. This what is they I, do. This is actually quite a running theme. I found quite entertaining in the movie is just how goddamn incompetent the bad guys are. Like <laughs> effectively, they took the wrong school hostage and then kind of had to MacGyver their way into a terrorist situation, which was great. So the next scene is Frodo saying, like, okay, let's go party. It's after hours, the school's all whatever. boys school. Too. Yeah, all boys school, so it's curfew. They all sneak out of the rooms, Frodo and Wesley Crusher and their three friends. They go to the secret underground bunker under the kitchen and start drinking 
basically vodka and creme de menthe that they're selling in bottles Scoop of mouthwash. It was actually pretty <laughs> clever. And he, he MacGyvers this phone into the school's phone system and they call a sex line. This is just good boyish prank shit because I want to listen to a sex line with four of my male friends watching me. That's how I get off. But so they're yeah, drinking well, mouthwash and listening to the sex line. That's, I'm not going to get into old schools of the, some of the stuff that we did in a group that you're like, when you think back, you're like, really? <laughs> but then I'm laughing about this, but genuinely, if you had called a phone sex line in 1991, I would have been in there, man. Like all we had is Sears oh. catalogs and blurry, like unscrambled porn on channel yeah. 21. And that was it. Like that was the best we had. So you scrambled, may do scrambled porn is what you mean. That's right. Like, sorry, sorry, yeah, I wasn't every, now and, every now and then. That's right. Every now and then you could pause it and get a nipple or something. And there was like weird ball. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, I'm going in. I'm diving under my pants. I'm going to make this work. This is all I got. But I also like, though, how they are establishing Frodo as this like. Friendships. Yeah, too. The friendships. He doesn't like authority. He's a clever kid. Like he's managed to sneak away. He's invented a mouthwash alcohol that he sells. He hacks this phone. So you've got a white man throw. And and kind of like hockey hair. What is it? A mullet. Kind of like a combo in a sense. So you learn everything you need to know about the characters really fast. Obviously, Iron Eagle, Lou Gossett Jr., who is working late at night, picks up his phone. He sees her listening to a sex line. He immediately finds them and busts them. Yeah. He knows exactly where they are. It, it's not like they had a tracking system on it. It's like they must be in the old abandoned basement under the old, the old building. Listen to porno. <laughs> Um, so he busts them and then there's a great scene I liked actually where, cause again, they're just establishing, a, they're doing a lot of great work that you just don't like they're overworking. Expected toy soldiers. Is. Yeah, that's right. And they just established like Lou Gossett Jr. is like, I know you sold this mouthwash to your students. So tell me who you sold it to. And there's just a great interaction between Frodo and Iron Eagle and Lou Gossett Jr. And again, as you say, Christian, they established that. He's got goddamn respect for Frodo for, I don't know, I guess listening to yeah. porno. and I think he knows he's a, he's a troubled kid, maybe, you know, from, from the parents' side of things, didn't have any father figure, whatever it may be. Uh, it it kind of dumped on, and he'd been to school to school to school. I think it's not just alluded right. to, I think it's right out said that, that that's where you, and there was nowhere else for him to go. So, right. um, and, you know, it, it makes the dean more likable. Instead yep. of him being the hard ass that they all they always are in every other movie, he's kind yep. of respects like this, and, and that helps with the relationship and makes for a good, likable cast. So you actually like the characters, even though they're troubled teens, like right. well, up to shenanigans, because it's you're all rooting, playful fun. You're rooting for their shenanigans. You're rooting then, for Rudy. You're rooting for, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. There's a, another running theme in this movie that I don't know about the director, man, but like, so the next scene, they've been busted. Frodo or whatever, Sam Austin is back in the room with Wesley Crusher. Wesley's got his shirt off. There's a lot of really young boy shirtless footage in this movie like there is a goddamn lot of it this is the reason you love this so much. <laughs> i even wonder right i'm like watching this getting all these feelings there's the one of their one of their friends and i don't know who he is he's obviously a male underwear model because you better goddamn believe if they are in the dorm room that character is stripped down to his 
skin tight blue underwear He's and that's the all old, he's wearing like jeremy allen white uh, calvin klein the new calvin klein commercial yeah <laughs> that's pretty much what he's doing the whole every frame he's in i also love that wesley from star trek we learn is supposed to be the son of some generic italian mafia guy yeah and wesley only remembers to use an italian accent like one out of every 18 lines of dialogue he doesn't look remotely Italian. Oh. And I oh. love how they fit it in because I was the Italian friend. And then, like, I guess they call him a giddy and he gets really offended. He's like, hey. You, no, no, no. They call him a giddy. He goes, I'm your friend. I should be able to call you a wop. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, okay. Those are the rules. <laughs> I love that. Like, and then, yeah, like every line of dialogue he delivers, he'll be like, hey, Frodo, we have to stop the terrorists, but what are we going to do about it? And, like, he's going really, like, a really aggressive, overwrought Italian accent, and then nothing. He's such and a he's the most saltine cracker motherfucker in all the band. He's the whitest of the white. Like, it, it's crazy that they even attempted, they just gave him an Italian last name, and every now and then, yeah, he, he throws a Travolta-esque attitude out in his delivery of dialogue. But that's it. But his dad is, is a well-known, like another one of those, oh, that guy. Yeah, oh, that like you guy. You recognize He's like, him from a bunch of movies. Like L.A. But, Law or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like one of those long-standing, whatever, one of those shows that have been going on for way too many seasons that you think, oh, they must be in their fifth season. And it's like, no, season 20. <laughs> yeah, season 85 <laughs> or something like that. So they get caught. Um, they get caught by the dean. Everybody's mad. So they decide to do one final prank, which is to take the headmaster's furniture and put it on the quad, which is the next scene. We open up the next morning. The headmaster, who is, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong, but Indiana Jones, basically. Denholm Elliott, who is the, also the dean in Indiana Jones. And this is the guy, like, the bumbling, it's Marcus from Indiana Jones. Yes. Yeah. Basically, if who, you need. Who's playing Marcus? Yeah, right. He's <laughs> But, like, only he's ever played Marcus. If you need, in a nine, and again, the 90s. <laughs> You needed a badass, you're calling Lou Gossett Jr. You need the dean of a university, you're calling Denholm, uh, you call whatever the hell his name is, Denholm Elliott, Marcus from Indiana Jones. So when I saw him, I'm like, yeah, God, we've got all our favorites in here. They see all the furniture on the quad that uh, Frodo and Wesley Crusher have done. And again, it's this grudging respect for like how clever they are to pull off these pranks. They're trying not to laugh. And I don't know, it's just kind of a nice, charming scene. It's so over the top. Yeah, because they they also do a callback. Like, are you sure that this ventilation shaft goes to the dean's office? He's like, That's right. How did you think I got his furniture out later? So they they play all into that afterwards as well. And I found that the music, it sounds yeah. kind of Indiana Jones ish. And then as soon as you think, okay, it's going to go full Indiana Jones. No, it, then it goes into the. It has like the the drums or like the the like to kind of break, give it that army feel again. Right. But it starts like whimsical with that Indiana Jones, John Williams esque overture, and then it just shifts. And every time it comes on, and then you've got Marcus in, it, and I'm like, I, I think this was done on purpose. Like they were trying here. Like they, I think they expected oh, yeah. this to be. Well, every movie is a product and they all want their movie to do well. I think this was expected to do well. I had, I didn't realize it bombed because we oh, yeah. were all, all aware of it. It made like it came $15 out. million dollars worldwide. Like it bombed. Like in fairness, remember, we went to the theaters, we went to the theaters, but I don't remember going to the theaters to see this. No, we either, went to actually. see everything. Everything. Like much. if there was a movie that hit the theaters, we were seeing it. And you're right. We though, saw my that's... boyfriend's back in the theater. Johnny Zombie, my boyfriend's back. We saw that in the theater, and somehow we didn't see this, which still is shocking. 
there's a there's an element of this that I did get through the whole movie, which is the people making it absolutely gave a shit about what they were making. Like there's one yeah. scene much later on that I love. The dean is loading all the confiscated liquor mouthwash into the car, and there's eight bottles in the box. And earlier on, he said there was eight bottles. Like somebody actually gave a shit about this movie, which is sort of continuity that to that yeah. extreme. <laughs> like good 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 job everybody. So now they have to get. Lou Gossett Jr. off the premises. They need him to not be a part of the terrorist situation so he can tell them how cool Sean Austin is. Like, that is Lou Gossett's purpose in the movie, more or less. So they need to get him off. And have his hero moment later on. Right, and have his hero. Well, we'll talk about that because it's awesome. But, like, so they need him off campus. And I love, like, again, this is why I thought it was sort of new, supposed to be a New England vibe because this is such a minor scene, but... The next scene is Lou Gossett Jr. driving to the sheriff's office. The sheriff is complaining about the graffiti that he's seen around town. Obviously, Frodo and team have done it. God damn if Lou Gossett Jr. doesn't fucking openly threaten the sheriff. Like, openly yeah. threaten the sheriff. He's like, dude, well, your brother-in-law is the one who sold them liquor. Black like, leaves the threat hanging. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, you're not, we're not going to do anything about the shenanigans of them spray-painting your car, cop because your brother owns a liquor store that showed them the stuff to make their little makeshift uh scope bottle liquor and so totally like blackmailing them yep, and then totally. they get called that the school's under attack or is, is that what so, happened yeah someone was well, shot so, yeah or, so that so lou yeah. gossett jr is off campus now threatening a sheriff because you do not fuck with early 90s lou gossett jr and so now that he's been removed from the narrative, it is time for the terrorists to come and take over the school. Because remember, at this time, they believe the American student who was taken away by the government right at the start of the movie, they believe he's part of the school because they aren't really very competent terrorists. So they just drive into the school where What's every – like. This is the other part, too, and I'm not going to think too hard about this, but they, they just walk right in the cafeteria, pull out an Uzi, and shoot the ceiling. It's fucking go yeah. time. Like, yeah. but, 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 shoot, but they shoot the, the security guy. Like, there's the one right. old security guard at the front. They just shoot him because he asked too many questions in a sense. Well, yeah, they stop at the Not security, the <laughs> and they show him the gun, and they're like, get in the car, and nothing bad's going to happen. And then I guess the security guard reaches for a gun, and I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, Applebee has a guard. I don't think he's armed. Like, you wouldn't fucking <laughs> arm the guard of a prep school. That was Applebee. Applebee College, we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, since it's it's a close and it's a private school in our area. Like, Mike just assumes everybody knows who. Oh, Applebee. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Applebee. So that, I found, was a bit weird that they arm their guards. But whatever. These terrorists, they're not fucking around. So they just shoot them. And now it is time to take the school hostage. Apparently... 100% of the school is in the cafeteria. How convenient for the terrorists. So they come and they take it over. Everyone's hiding and scared. One kid goes to call 911 at the row of uh, oh, uh, uh, I thought they gunned them down. They, well, they tried to, but he ducked. And then the teacher came yeah. and was like, don't he shoot the students. Bullets. So they just shot him in the head, which was great. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the best response. So I thought they shot the student. I'm like, whoa, they're not playing. But then they they shot the phone. You find out the student is just cowering right. in the, in below. And yeah, the teacher comes up like, hey, oh, no, don't do that. So they kill him. They just they shoot him the right in the head. Cold blood. Yeah, like it's not it's not gory, 
but right. it's not bloodless. Like when people get shot, it's not like the the no squibs. Like you see yeah. blood splatter. Uh, like there's a guy that gets his neck slit. There, like you see, well, there's blood. There's bloodshed. Like this was probably, I would assume. Like I remember, it, so in Canada we had this rating of AA, adult accompaniment. If you right. remember, yeah, yeah. so the if you're under rate. the age of 14, you had to go with an adult. I think this was rated AA at the time. This was most likely PG-13 in the states. Right. But it borderlined. I'd have to double check that it could have fallen into that art category. It's so it weird. Like, if, if that would be what like, bombed, if it was an R-rated movie, that would 100% explain why it bombed. And, and you find this too, just the fun of the 90s, which again, I forget about because of how ratings used to work. It's funny too. I find whenever it was like, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe there's trigger warnings. Motherfucker, there's been trigger warnings on movies since 1965 for fuck's sakes. What do you think a movie yeah, rating but- is? Anyways, well, it does say 14A, so I'm assuming I'm assuming that was probably PG-13 back in the day for for our uh, American listeners. But yeah, the trigger warnings just got got out of hand. But you're right; it would like when you used to watch HBO or still down to this Everything. day, this movie contains coarse language, nudity, parental parental violence. It's recommended. Violence, yeah, this movie contains parental violence, and it's funny too. I forgot back in the 90s, like you could get away with shooting a teacher in the head, but as long as you didn't swear or have nudity, you could get it oh. for kids, basically. Which is always yeah. this weird dynamic in the US rating system. Acts of like, oh, fairly horrific violence are fine. Swearing is a huge problem. Like one, kids, there's no, like, not a single there, You used to be able to sneak in some nudity. If you were lucky in a PG, get a PG rating. Well, this, if you're lucky, but usually you get, like, yeah. You see Frodo's ass in this. <laughs> yeah, you did. that's like I, true. I paused it's that. True. <laughs> I mean, as I'm going all in on the teenage nudity, I'm going all in. I'm not like I'm not going to judge whether I'm getting guys getting me off or girls is fine. It's nudity's nudity. It was it wasn't scrambled. So that's right. Yeah. It wasn't scrambled. I just like what I'm seeing. So Lou Gossett Jr. and the sheriff drive to the school, and they're kind of not clear why they're coming together. I guess they're coming to whatever get the liquor or something, and the body has now been placed outside the school with a tarp underneath it. And the sheriff lets Lou Gossett Jr. check out the goddamn corpse. He doesn't say, like, hey, there's an active crime scene. Don't touch the dead body. He's like, what's going on with that dead body, Lou Gossett Jr.? Well, they, they heard they were shooting. They're shooting at the school, which is right. why they zoomed out of there and 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 teamed together because they're busy blackmailing one another. They got the call over the radio, and then they, they zoomed to the school. But you're right. It's like, at this point, okay, Dean, this is an active crime scene. Yeah. Step aside. No, go check the body, Dean. Go, go check the body. Yeah. The dean checks it out. He's one of my teachers. He's been shot in the head. So Lou Gossett Jr. is immediately like, we've got to call the feds. We've got to call the state police. And, of course, the sheriff is like, this is my goddamn jurisdiction. So... <laughs> And I mean, that's just, again, staple of the night. It's just like a cliche in every movie. What I found was awesome was Lou Gossett Jr. is like, I'll call them myself. And he runs to a payphone, and you can see he punches in 9-11. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that just goes right back to the sheriff's department. Like, 9-11 doesn't fucking ready to defend. Yeah. Like, it just... Wouldn't it it, be great if he just picked up his phone, like his his CB radio? Uh, Hey, Dean, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm right here. This is me. I can see what you're doing. So they get in a bit of a disagreement, and... uh, the sheriff is like, I'm going to go handle this. I will drive in. But the terrorists at this point have mounted an anti-aircraft machine gun at the bell tower. And the heaviest uh, artillery. Yeah. Like machine that, like, guns. Insane Ever. amounts of artillery. So the cow. sheriff 
they just light up the sheriff's car. Like they just ruin it from one end to the other. The sheriff runs away. They also have rocket launchers. So they shoot one of those at the sheriff's car. And obviously they're doing this because they want the government involved. They want to make a big scene. So they blow up the sheriff's car. And now everybody is like, fuck, this is a little bit more than a routine school shooting. What a weird thing yeah. to say, but like that's because essentially they were treating it like, oh, well, just a shooting at a school, whatever. Yeah, we're, we'll be okay. Did you we'll know be. that they bought their arms from that guy from American Ninja? I don't know if you, if, if you caught that little t- <laughs> Oh my God. I Okay, so now in headcanon, this is the same narrative universe as American Ninja. So these are people <laughs> yeah, who have bought an equipment from American Ninja. Now we're seeing some of the after effects of the uh, American Ninja oh, arms oh. on the open market. This is all just a really <laughs> fucked up year for the United States government. A bunch of their soldiers were killed in the Philippines by ninjas, and now that very same artillery is being used to take a prep school hostage in New Hampshire. But it's such a bizarro idea for a, like I mean not not let's not just go get the actual judge himself. Let's go get his right. son. Who's at, at that school? Who's not even at the school? Because like Who's I said, the they school. got rid of them. So, yeah. <laughs> now there's a great scene where the terrorists are going through all the students and they realize, they're like, well, shit, the kid we actually mean to kidnap isn't even goddamn here. But yeah. they quickly pivot and realize, like, okay, there are a lot of well-connected parents who have their kids at the school and there's a scene of them going through, like, your dad is the head of a bank. The terrorists are like, okay, we can pivot and we can still blackmail the government because we have enough... We have enough kids here to make this workable. So they are inventive, uh, inventive and clever terrorists. They roll with the punches. We're not going to be able to do plan A. Plan B will be just fine. Plan B is just fine. So we're going to take a bunch of kids hostage. They're going to wire the whole school with explosives very quickly. Yeah. And now it is time for the FBI to show up in the form of Full Metal Jacket, Arlie Emery. The FBI is here. And I love the fact that the FBI and the Army are now... They've taken over the situation. They're like, okay, this is real. These are terrorists. They've taken over like a prep school. Lou Gossett Jr. is in the command tent. Like just listening to them offered like, hey, man, what do you think about this? And they're like, yeah, what do you think, Lou Gossett Jr.? He is a goddamn civilian. Like they would have absolutely escorted him off the premises. Like get get out of here, Dean. Would they also ask him straight out like, oh, can we get through here? And then ask him his intel. And he's like, yes, what's going on? Oh, well, we just want to know, are we able to, will our men be able to get here and connect to the school? Yes, what's going on? And then he finally is told what's, what's happening. Uh, and he's only supposed to help escort those military over to that area. But of course, that's when he wants to become the hero. And I'm like I said, I'm jumping way ahead. He but I'm just saying, they just, that's why they keep him around. You're right. They would normally escort him right the hell out. But I think they have to keep having him a, 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 like with a presence so that he's like integral to their plot in the sense of like they, they're going to need him later so that he can weasel his way back in. And there's an interesting thing too that movies sometimes are able to pull off. Um, and this movie I thought did really well. And like once you see this technique, you realize like when it's used really well, it's actually a really great screenwriting technique, but there's something enormously cool about a character you think is cool talking about how cool another character is. And that is essentially Lou Gossett, who we already think, like we're trained in the 90s to know Lou Gossett Jr. is a badass. And half the movie is just him going, you better goddamn believe Frodo's going to be able to get us out of this mess. And it's just another cool character telling us how cool Frodo is, which genuinely makes Frodo seem 
a thousand times, sorry, I think he was Samwise in Lord of the Rings, but I'm going to make the mistake every time, but it just makes him seem a million times cooler than he actually is. And I and I totally agree until you really think back to what we've been see, shown in the film up until that point. And he's basing him overthrowing a bunch of terrorists at the school <laughs> because he was able to hack a phone line into right. a sex line and right. be able to deliver that to everybody's friends and was able to take the, the headmaster's furniture out and put it on the front part. Like, that's his reasoning. He's a good kid. He's a good prankster. You know, it's he it's funny. In any other movie... This is like uh, like uh, Porky's or something like that. And like, I wouldn't trust the people from Porky's to go overthrow a terrorist. But like, Lou Gossett Jr. knows Sean Austin can do it. He knows it's going to happen. That guy will stick his dick in anything. <laughs> That's how he's going to solve it. So the next scene now is obviously all the kids are, have now been put into the rooms and they're on lockdown by the terrorists. Of course, Frodo and all of his friends are together. Of course, fucking 60% of them are in their underwear because I genuinely believe the director enjoyed filming young boys shirtless in their underwear. So now they're trying wow. to figure out. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking that. Now, oh, now you're making me. It, it, it's in your face the whole time. But so now they're like, what are we going to do to overthrow the terrorists? Uh, Wesley Crusher is like, let's grab. And he puts on his huge Italian accent for this. He's like, why don't we grab a machine gun and go fucking get him? Sorry, that's the worst Italian accent. Is that your Italian? Like, that's your well, Italian do a, accent? Do a better Italian Can you do a little accent. bit more? No, can you, I want you to do a bit more for me. Hey, what about <laughs> what about this? That was like, that's slightly better, actually. Jesus Christ! <laughs> what about this fucking guy? <laughs> you calling me a wop? I um, said it okay. earlier. It is it is a line in the movie. Okay, so now the plan they come up with, rather than grab a machine gun and shoot their way out, they actually come up with I what I think is actually an incredibly reasonable and measured plan, which is just like, why don't we figure out a bunch of intel about how many terrorists there are, what kind of weapons they have, where they're situated, and see if we can find a way to sneak that to the outside world. Which, yeah, that is an insanely reasonable approach for a group of students to take. You're right, in a serious movie, but because this is called Toy Soldiers, and because we kind of want to see them kick ass, this is where the movie bogs down a little bit. It's right. reasonable and, and it makes sense, but you kind of just want them to knock one guy out, grab a machine gun and start just, you know, Rambo in their way through the school, no, but I they do don't. Like, no. And I actually, that we'll talk about this later, but I do like the screenwriters are like, these are students, man. These aren't soldiers. They don't know what they're doing. Cause every plan they take is clever, but like soldiers incredibly. Yes. Yeah, right. But like, it's just incredibly reasonable. So the next, yes, what follows, it's the next day, the terrorists in the morning say, okay, there are 92 of you. We know that because we've counted. We are going to do a count every hour. And if any of you aren't here, we're going to execute five of you. And the terrorist has the detonator for the bomb on his wrist. So those are the two MacGuffins of the whole like of the whole tension is like, okay, they can't just escape because then their friends are going to die. They'll start executing the other kids. And if they do anything to the lead terrorist, he's going to detonate the bomb. Your, if they're not your friends, who really cares? Like if the core group gets out. That's right. We're yeah. with those guys. We barely spent any time with the other ones. They don't even <laughs> like us. They just bought our whiskey or whatever. So yeah. what next follows is a montage of collecting information about the terrorists. They're doing sketches. There's another scene as well, which I thought was great. And it's a little bit of a movie making shortcut, but the five of them are in the room with this younger student who owns a remote control plane. And then, so there's a scene where they're like, wait a second, if you can control that remote control plane, 
that means we can switch the microchips from the detonator in the remote control plane. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I don't think that's how fucking any of that works. But again, nineties. The one other piece of electronic that they had. Right. I mean, that would be like the equivalent today would be a drone. Someone would have a drone. But they they play around with that. Like he's zipping it around, it causes a distraction, and that's how they're able to get some uh to get out of the school during one of their recesses. I love how the of the, the bad guys still allow them to have recess. <laughs> well, I love even the fact that like, yeah, as they're showing scenes of the kids in the quad. Quite a few of them are actually having a really good time. They're smiling, they're laughing, they're throwing a football around. And like obviously the director said, like just act like you're having fun. And yeah. some of the like extras <laughs> took it a little too far because I'm like, like they're essentially they're hostages. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're all hostages. They are having yeah. a really, really good time. So yeah. this is their plan. Now they've got their intel, and now it's time to sneak it to the outside world. Frodo needs to sneak all of the intel outside. And there's this like very like intricate plan to distract the terrorist so he can run away and sneak out through this storm vent. Yeah, because there's two or of them on watch with the huge machine gun that that could take out the helicopters. They're on the roof, but they're also like able to see the whole surrounding area. So they have to distract them so he can get by them into a clearing and then also make it back. And of course, we're also have the timer constraint of them being on recess or whatever it is and. It's X amount of minutes that he has to get to and back. And I actually uh, thought that was... there will be execution time. No, there's tension. There's, there's tension, exactly. tension there. yeah. And so Sean Austin manages to escape. They do a bunch of shenanigans to distract all the terrorists. It's actually quite clever. He gets picked up by the military and he shows them, like, here's, here's all the stuff. But they obviously and reasonably, they're like, dude, we're not going to let you go back to the school. And he's like, you have to let me go back. If I'm not there for the count, they're going to kill my friends. And in fairness, the government's like, yeah, I don't – fuck, we're not going to let you go back into a terrorist situation. So now he's got to be like, I'm going to fucking get out of here. So he uh, – I think he just steals a Jeep. Like he hits one of them in the stomach or something like that. A Hummer. He just steals right. one of the available Hummers that they're ready to go, and it zips away as if he's driven a Hummer yesterday. Right. I guess that's just right. like any he other car, but he just hops in. Sean Austin is running through the storm drain. He trips and falls. He's soaking wet. He is not back for the count. The bad guys on the roof aren't looking away, so he can't sneak back. The one thing I did find funny is there's this quick moment where the terrorist is doing the count, and their one friend who happens to be black he grabs yeah. him. He's like, I already counted you. And I'm like, that technique of moving down the line and getting counted twice That's is fantastic. great. Don't pick the only fucking black yeah. guy in the school yeah. to do that. Because he is well, He did it himself. It was ingenious. Yeah. But tell your white buddy to do it. Because, oh. like, and I would say that with any other racial tension, that he was the only black kid the in the damn school, kid. seemingly. Yeah. At least of the main characters. So if you're going <laughs> to turn yeah. into the switcheroo, probably shouldn't be you, buddy. So finally... Sean Austin gets back and he's soaking wet. And there's a scene where he's running back to the cafeteria and he's just stripping off. And I'm like, in my head, the first time I watched it, I'm sure I was like, oh, of course, the director is kind of a quasi pedophile. Of course, he has Sean Austin randomly strip. But the gist of it, that's where he runs in. That's right. Then you pause it right when he gets the ass shot. Um, But he runs in. He's got a towel around him. He's like, I'm in the shower. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Which I, again, that is the only part of the movie genuinely that I remember that one scene of him running in soaking wet. Thank you. Uh, now that yeah. I say that out loud, I realize how bad <laughs> that sounds, how unbelievably bad that the only part I remember is and why, soaking and wet. And why happened. he wanted to rewatch it all yeah. these years later. 
Yeah, and I watched it six but, or seven times last night. Like I couldn't. And stop he's very watching. apologetic. They were about to start executing. They're gonna. They were, they were gonna to do it. the headmaster. Headmaster. They picked out a few kids. He gets in, and then the 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 head terrorist guy takes him back, and you know they have a little you know exchange, and you think, oh, okay, he understands me, until he throws down Frodo's head onto the table, slams it down. Then just picks out, out of like what looks like regular pen or pencil dispenser, a little extended stick that he uses to whip him with. Yeah, I mean, the, it's, like a, it's like you're checking your tire pressure, and he like the, whips him with it. <laughs> the like the really terrible implication is that okay, the prep school whips kids. Like he was in the headmaster's office, he just picked it up yeah. off his desk. Lou Gossett Jr. I guess sometimes when he needs to invoke rules, he just whips his children. But so there's a, a lot of weird undertones, but. That is the big set piece. We're now past the 60-minute mark. The terrorists are in firm control. We're on, like, day four now or something like that. The government is like, we're not going to negotiate. But now it's time to get Wesley Crusher's dad involved, who, as we've learned, is a mafia. And again, in the 90s, mafia is shorthand for whatever the fuck we need the plot to do. The mafia guy, (laughs) the mafia dad, basically says, I want my kid out right now. I think they just straight out tell him. Hey, this guy's a mafia guy, and he's like, I want that guy on my team. I think it's just as simple as that. I don't think they they went any deeper and whatnot. So then they try to get the son out, but the son hates his dad. He and does. So he actually says, fuck my dad. Right. And so then he steals a machine gun and decides to take the law into his own hands. Which I thought was a nice callback. He does his plan that he said at the very start of the movie, which is we should just grab one of those fucking machine guns and go get those guys or whatever an Italian accent is. So he does. He grabs. He like he's being escorted out by a singular terrorist. He, yeah, knows the worst Italian accent ever. But he elbows him in the stomach, grabs the machine gun, runs outside, and just starts shooting. And then there's again. I just I like that they actually thought about this. There's a great scene where he very quickly loses control of the machine gun and starts shooting up into the air because he's never shot a machine gun before and he's a 16 year old child. Like yeah, that is actually quite realistic. What is unfortunate is they just gun him right the fuck down. Oh, like, right, gun him down. Yeah, yeah. just in cold blood. Sean Austin is freaking out. He wants to stop it, but his friends are holding him back. Wesley Crusher dies. I forgot, actually, that he died. I completely forgot Ripple about that. the bullets. Yeah, that's it. Like, one of them had to die. You need to have, they had to up the ante a little bit there. At this point, this is what sort of kicks it into that final act. Right. So, the death yeah, of his this son. Was the, this was the uh, Obi-Wan getting sort of lightsabered by Darth Vader yeah. moment for Luke, basically. Like, this is the low point. And Frodo has the exact same reaction as Luke. Yeah, totally. Honestly, I think you could probably overdub one another. We should do that for fun on this video. I should overdub Luke's, no! Well, this, and I was Frodo's, actually... no! Hello, everyone. This is Post-Edit Mike, and I've edited in both Luke's scream and Frodo's scream, so you can hear the difference. Star Wars vibe from that scene actually because it is the same with like they're holding him back and he's watching his sort of mentor gay lover friend die and there's a Wookiee and And it was weird that there was a (laughs) Wookiee toy soldiers yeah so I don't know why who's the Italian guy yeah. So now his dad, there's cut. And sorry, I think I'm getting a little out of sequence here, but his dad, basically, there's now a scene with his dad going, I don't believe it was an accident. We're going to show him what happens when you fuck with the mob. And long story short, they now kill the dad in the prison. There's a now a scene yeah. of a the terrorist riot. dad. 
the terrorist dad is now dead. And again, it's just like, Jesus Christ, these terrorists are bad at their job. They can't even fucking escort Wesley Crusher out of a goddamn building without fucking it up. Like, Wesley goddamn Crusher. Anyways, these guys are... And it's are... a slit neck. They slit his neck. And we see it. Yeah. Not, I mean, it's not it's not horror movie gore. We're not talking reanimator-style gore. But it's, it's a, a slit, bloody. And then they push him over the edge and he flips down and dead. So Daddy Terrorist is dead. That doesn't go over well because they know that there's only amount of time. So now the time the clock is ticking again. A good plot device to make you know up but the ante a bit. How is he going to find out his dad's dead? So there's a great scene now where the military and the FBI are talking about it, and they're obviously filling the audience in on the stakes, and they're like, now the blah blah blah. But now it's great. Lou Gossett Jr. literally wanders into the scene with a cup of coffee, and his line is, "Hey, what's going on?" Like, yeah, like, oh, this is the one I was it. talking about earlier. And then, and then they say, oh, can you get us in here? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> like, yeah, like, he says yeah. it like three times, I think. And they finally tell him. And they that's said, yes, like, uh, the, excuse me, the terrorist dad, it was killed by the mob. And when he finds out, then there's, it's, he's going to blow up that school. So now so this they got is time they got to kick the uh, Frodo plan into high gear. And this is all stated off scene, but the implication is when they snuck all the intel out to the army, they obviously included a plan that said, hey, if you signal us with a spotlight at night, we'll signal back with a giant mirror, which means we are ready to both disarm the explosives and get every student into the bunker that lives beneath the kitchen. Like, obviously, they must have written that out because the only, that is all that kicks this into action. Like, Sean Austin is very sad and he's having his moment of, I don't want to participate in the movie anymore. And they're like, you have to do it for Wesley Crusher. And he's like, okay. And then all that happens is, again, they the army flashes a spotlight and they're like, that's the signal, implying that they must have wrote out because we have a kid here who flies remote control planes, we're pretty confident we can disarm the bomb. And the military read this. They're like, yeah, fuck, makes sense to me. Like, fuck, they no, got but they, I don't know. Here. Did they know about that part? Because they sent those three guys in that happened. So, again, I'm jumping ahead. So then they, they start their insult on the school. And they go in and they shoot the guys at, at the top that had been you know, up there for four days straight, it yeah. seems. I don't think, other than getting a little food, they just been up at the fucking top of the roof for like <laughs> day five. And then they get shot and one guy's still alive enough to to pull a grenade out and it rolls down the side of the building, happens to land exactly where these guys are coming and blows up and it kills or wounds two of them. Yeah. Kills two of them and wounds one of them. But he's like, I got to defuse that bomb. You got to get me to the headmaster's thing. So he's going there under the strict orders oh, of defusing the bomb. I'm jumping ahead be- to tell you that because that's what I guess they were there to do. But in the meantime, this is where he hops back up through the ventilation shafts and they concoct the idea to switch the chips, as you mentioned. The- but this is where, like, what I was plane- reacting to when the kids are all half naked in the dorm room and all one of them says, the army starts flashing a spotlight through the window. One of them is like, that's the signal. We got to signal them back. And they, they take the mirror and signal them back, implying that like they have some part in this plan. And I guess maybe it was just to get yeah. all the kids down no, to the true. bunker or something true. like that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the movie falls apart a little Underground washroom or underground basement washroom. It's crazy. You're right. There, there's a big leap of faith there, but a lot of these movies have those moments, as we well know. <laughs> right. So now, so this is now the final climax. There, Christian, as he mentioned, there's a scene where they sneak into the dean's office, where the detonator is. They switch the detonator out. And Only they, difference is, yep. it's you got to get the red chip. 
there's no red chip. There's a blue chip. That must be it. And I I guess to set up for that one second of, but he's not, remember, he's taking the chip out. I guess he is taking the chip out of the remote control for the detonator, or is that the bomb? No, he's taking it out of the bomb so that when he does the detonator, it's going to activate the plane instead of the the detonator. (laughs) I just, again, like. The exact same chip fits. The exact same chip. You got a double A battery because that's exactly what this detonator takes. Like that actually makes more sense than the fact that this microchip is the exact same thing that blows this bomb up that was made in fucking Columbia versus this like remote control. It's got to be the same thing. There's only one chip in existence in 1991 that (laughs) received and transmitted signals. It's just a single manufacturer. They they turned the, the, the remote control airplane over and it said, Made in Colombia. That's, ah. uh, uh, yeah, that is why it works. This is the only reason it makes sense. Now the assault on the school starts, and now basically it's just five minutes of army guys assaulting the school. The one thing I did like is Frodo gets caught in the washroom, and he has to fight one of the guards. The guard, the bad guy, should have said, like, hey, what are you kids doing? Hey, stop. But he doesn't say anything, and I always assume yeah. that means they're trying to keep his rate down. Like, they essentially yeah. don't want to give him a speaking like a game player. Yeah. yeah, no, genuinely, I think, like, whenever there's a scene That's where a character doesn't have a line expert. where they should, I just assume they're like, well, fuck it. If we give him a line, he's on a different tier of SAG, and fuck it. Like, we're trying to keep the yeah. budget down on this one, so we're not giving him a speaking line. Because he just sits yeah. there. I don't even think he says, aye. No. <laughs> so they, they fight him. But this is where I'm going with it. So now we're in the climatic moments of this movie. The, the Italian kid, Will Wheaton, he goes out, shoots the gun like you said, it goes off and fires up. He gets shot to death. He's done. Um, now Frodo gets a gun. He goes up and essentially just shoots it up in the air. No, just to get everybody to run out. Yeah, or does he just hold it? He gets out of the washroom. He's got the terrorist gun and he's like, everybody run into the basement. And everybody's like, yeah, okay, sure. Nobody yeah. says, well, so, what the hell are you doing? Just, yeah. yeah right, these we'll are more like, I don't know. Like, so again, not much toy soldiering going on. Literally, they just get out of there. Uh, I mean, he pots and pans that one guy. Hacks him over the head the, with a pan. He gives him the pan to the back of the head. I'd love yeah. if yeah. there was like a after scene or something like that where the guy didn't die, but he was just like mentally handicapped for the rest of his life. And Sean Austin had like to deal with the crippling guilt of like, anyways, that doesn't matter. So and now he lives with them sloth like. Like that's he's right. like, you're gonna come live with me now. And he's like, pots and pans, pots and pans. <laughs> that's all he says when he comes to the new Fodor of uh, the whole narrative universe is pots and pans. Anyways, so now there's the final climactic scene in the dean's office where obviously the terrorist is there, Sean Austin is there. And now this is, I think, my favorite scene in the whole movie. He's facing off against the military and the Blue Gossett Jr., who has snuck himself into the battle, he's with the guy who was blown up with a grenade, and the guy's like, if you don't stop it, they're going to kill him. What does Blue Gossett Jr. do? He just fucking throws himself through the window. It's right. Like, it, there's a connection to our first movie. It's like when yeah. American Ninja swan dives out of the window. It's practically that, too, because I don't even think he gives the death shot to the, nope. to, to the terrorist. He nope. just distracts him by throwing himself through... <laughs> Yeah, the window he, he gets shit. shot he gets shot but then the terrorist gets shot through the head from behind so because they finally storm the office so in yeah. fairness 
Lou Gossett Jr. throwing himself through a plate glass window does, as it would, distract the terrorists. He's like, what the fuck? And when he turns around to look, the military shoots in the head. And I love the next shot. And again, this is people who cared about this movie. Lou Gossett Jr. is like covered in bandages. Both his forearms are absolutely wrapped up. Like he must have shredded every part of his body diving through that plate glass window. And I just love you're right. He doesn't get the hero shot. Sean Austin doesn't get the hero shot. Because again, like the screenwriters are obviously pretty clear that none of these people know how to fight. So why would they know how to shoot a gun at a terrorist? They don't. Well, they walk out and they have a couple of exchanges with one another and then the movie's over. Like, they yep. come out of the womb. Lou Gossett's bandaged up. It looks like he got shot right in the fucking heart. But then when he comes out, it's up here. They have these this little colorful ban- banter back and forth. And then yep. the movie ends. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and again, as is the case with 90s movies, it is a tight hour and 40 minutes. Like, no three-hour marathon. We don't need to know... We don't need to know fucking anything about the Colombian drug lords. We don't care. We just dive into the movie and have a movie. But it is, yeah, in retrospect, rewatching it, I forgot that there's truly only the two action set pieces in the whole movie. The sneaking the shit outside and then the final assault. And that is it for the action. Like, it's actually a very action assault. The final assault is a long chunk of the movie. I think it actually goes closer to about an hour and 50. I could be wrong. I, I, I might be right. I'd well, say when the, you keep pausing I, the I underwear like, scenes, it's actually closer to three and a half hours. But, like, I don't know if you watch it like yeah, that. I had to keep stopping at yeah. Kleenex and shit like that. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. But anyway, yeah, it's it still feels – and, again, I'm going to say this a lot because it's one of my big arguments in movies. Sometimes a movie just feels bogged down and for, like, you know, if they just somehow got rid of ten minutes – in the yeah. middle there, it would have kept things moving around. It's still, I still recommend it. It's not a bad movie. No, you're it's right, just, though. It, it could have been a bit zippier. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I know. You see it again all this time. Obviously, it's not the, the love affair you had when you were a, a young teenage boy watching other teenage boys naked. But I, now I learned a lot about man. Movie. I learned a lot about <laughs> who I was and the sort of things that I like. So, yeah, there's always going to be a place in my heart for it. I don't know. I'm finding as we go through these movies, there is a efficiency and sincerity to 90s movies that I just have sort of come to appreciate with these bloated, monolithic three and a half hour movies that come out now. Like just, message, they're, right, they're not yeah. wearing a message on their sleeve. Right. This is not like anything else. Like, yeah, there's there, there might be some underpinnings, underpinnings here and there. But I mean, American Ninja wasn't trying to say anything other than like having some fun. And this is yeah. having some fun as well. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what 80s and 90s movies really were. They started, I mean, obviously you have some other caliber type of film happening at the same time. Right. But those are not the films that we're discussing on the show. No, and this, like, listen, this is an Oscar bait. This is trying to be a diehard. It's a well-written movie. Like, again, I, I'm trying to find stuff to nitpick because it's fun. But, like, genuinely, the movie that's hangs cool, together. Man. It makes sense. Like, Production value is high. Editing yep. is fine. Music is fine. Like the acting's fine, even though we were shitting on Will Wheaton. Everything's fine. Like everything works. Yep. There's nothing, there's no inherently bad person like that stands out like a sore thumb or anything like that. Like it, it all works. I just said it could have been a little zippier, yep. uh, a little bit more action. I forgot how little fighting they did. Yeah, Because I was too. so used to Red Dawn where, although that overstates its welcome, it's literally them fighting. Like they're going out like as Marines, as shooting Russians and stuff like that. Yeah, no, this is a really, it's a self-contained movie with idiot terrorists, not a lot of violence, not a ton of action, a lot of half-naked young boys, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, how come they didn't have to wedge a woman into this? I don't think there's a woman in the... the Shit. 
I never even thought of that. that. There might literally not be one woman in this movie. Holy no. fuck. Hold on. I'm thinking, <laughs> so that's not going to play well to this this generation. No, but hold on. I'm actually just trying to think yeah. like, Jesus Christ. Not a cook? Yeah. I don't think there's one. They didn't even no. think one of the terrorists women. No, you know what? Fuck. There is one woman in the movie. The woman they kill, the terrorists, right at the start of the movie. That is the oh. only woman in the movie. Shit, maybe there is a message. Yeah, it's a misogynist flick. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I don't know. Are we? I don't, I, I don't guess, know what that means, but yeah, what are we yeah, going to do with that, that information? Means. I don't even know what to do with that information now. I just, what do you do with anything? As you say, and it's always sunny, you just shove it down. You just let it, you shove it down, you swallow it. That was a good pick. I was very happy with that pick. Yeah. So thank yep. you for that. Uh, I enjoyed revisiting that. And I guess next time it's going to be my pick. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll be yep. back again with another episode of Pretty Bad Movie Gap. Until then. Like they said in the damn movie, you heard them, right? Oh, yes. We gotta stop it. Believe me, we gotta stop the movie. <laughs>